What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Boys, and this is another episode of the Facts per- Project. Today, very, very special guest. Third time on the program, my main man, Jeffrey L. Johnson, here to talk about any ad in its truest form. Looking out for volume one right here next to me. Thank you for being here again, brother. Appreciate you for having me, as always. Looking forward yeah. to getting into it. Absolutely. So the way that we're looking at this now, I mean, I've I've been, of course, a follower of yours since the very beginning. And within the six singular issues, even I, I shoot, I remember the, uh, the the sampler that you basically sent out. And now I have this good old volume one right here next to me. Where are we at in the kingdom of Althea? So, yeah, that sampler, man, I I forgot about that. I, I probably I definitely didn't print a hundred of those. So hold on to that just in case. Oh, yeah, that's um, <laughs> might be worth something one day. <laughs> um, you know, so we are in terms of the comic and, and what the world has seen. Um, volume one, I snuck in issue seven there to kind of complete that volume. I made the decision last year to go back and color one through seven. So folks have that experience for folks like yourself who've been uh, with me from the beginning, you're used to it in black and white. So I think coming in with full color, I was skeptical of how much of a difference it would make. And to me, it, it blew me away. It totally changed the feel of the world for the better. Uh, so so that's that's one leg. You know, you, you, you can think about this with a few pillars. The other pillar that I'm building up will eventually roll into uh, what I'm imagining as a novel uh, trilogy series, which some of I am teasing over on Substack, you know, what I'm doing there, I wanted to slowly introduce readers of any to prose writing. I also wanted to get into a rhythm of uh, prose writing myself. You know, all this mm-hmm. is, is still fairly new to me in terms of making it public, right? I think we all have our private creative endeavors, but being out in the world and actually you know, held up to to a certain standard. I I work with an editor and we've worked together on comics. I wanted to get our workflow going for prose. So what I did was I went backwards and kind of filled in all the gaps in between the comic chapters. So you know, I, I think there might be five viewpoints. I don't even know at this point. There's a lot of viewpoints in Edit. But pretty much every after every viewpoint change, I went in and filled in a gap with a, a little vignette of what was going on. So the mm-hmm. first one I wrote was titled Man of the Sword, and, and that followed King Julius after he had just run down uh, a group of rebels, from his perspective at least, a group of rebels who were terrorizing the town of Thetan. Um, we kind of see him finish the job and, and really drive the point home that he was trying to make in the first opening scene of any. And uh, what I uh, what I eventually turned that into was uh the, the three main characters for my novel, I actually discovered them through this process. You know, I knew I wanted to write a novel. I didn't know what I wanted the viewpoint to be. But as I went in and started filling those gaps, these characters, the one that I've introduced to the world, so I'll name them is Jaleel. Uh, Jaleel, Jaleel, depending on, you know, when, when eventually when the story gets written, uh, uh, his story is completed because it is being written. I'll figure out how I want to really pron- pronounce that. But I call him Jaleel in my head. But he is um he, he will be one of three main characters and, and I discovered him through this process of filling in the gaps. Um and then the last leg, you know, talking about where we stand now, 
I'm now going back to my notes and I am filling in those gaps as well. So as you know, any it started really as a world building project. It did. Many moons ago, I was designing a world called <laughs> called Design 2. And mm-hmm. Design 2 was just a place that I was filling in all these different countries of origin and cultures and stories. And so basically, I went back to that and I just started telling the actual story of Amashik post separation post shattering which is the cataclysm that kind of brings us brings the world into the 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 situation that it's in now and uh, i'm telling the story post separation to really where we are today and so when you talk about where any it has gone where where it's been what it's been through over the last two years Mm -hmm. it's really just it's gotten a broader base is is a simpler way to put it yeah, because what the if if we wanted to track back to the beginning, you know the the breakup of basically when we're talking about the rule of nine, the nine families that basically uh, were in hindsight based uh, based around this entire kingdom, the 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 kingdom of Althea, and then pretty much what brought them to that point to where they're so far separated and in odds with each other that what exactly is going to be the pivotal plot point that's going to bring them together. But an, a nomad that more likely has his own point of view, a darkened past, and is looking towards a future that he has no idea where he's going until he actually gets there. And he's very haunted by exactly who he is. He's a military guy uh, by by design, you know, so like very, uh, very silent. Uh, very uh, a singular human being who pretty much just doesn't really take that much shit, but he's a he's a he's a deep character is as far as how you base them. Yeah, and so you know, you you mentioned a few things in there that I guess technically, if you've never read, could be a little spoilery. So I'll dance around a bit of them, mostly around how the fan, how the the nine families in the Republic Kingdom situate themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're friendly, maybe they're not. You know. Um, but those nine families, you know, to, to start there, one of the other, and this is one of the things, again, that really just came from living in the world as long as I have and, and really challenging myself to tell its story, right? I, and I'll plant a flag and say, a Natu exists because a Natu makes it much easier to tell a cohesive story of Amashik. Mm-hmm. That's why a Natu is there. Uh, he, 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 as I've mentioned to you, he wasn't there from the beginning, but one of the things that happened as I began just living and creating in this world is I knew I needed someone like him to really tell this story. So plant that flag and jump back to the nine families. One of the novel characters, uh, the, 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 the POV characters in the novel um, is Lady Lena Ballas. So I, I tell this, the, the story uh, on my Substack, uh, basically how Queen Athenia Shadoon became Queen Athenia Shadoon. And basically you took nine of the wealthiest uh, wealthiest houses in what at the time was the far east of the Dobashi Empire. And those families decided that they had a lot of resources, they had, you know, fertile lands, they had a lot of, they, they had the most, um, what they had the wealthiest port in all of uh, the Dobashi Empire. They had some things going for them. Um, and, and they decided we we want this to ourselves and so when that happened they're in the midst of the war before things got too dicey so you talk about the the, the ways that these families sometimes separate and come together in the Ennead, they they decided they needed a leader and so it was it came down to malcolm Balisk and athenia shadoon and athenia shadoon was chosen 
for reasons. Well, maybe I'll explore those. Maybe I won't. That, that gets really political, right? And one of the things we've talked about before is that I'm not trying to make overt political statements. So why was Athena Shadoon chosen? I don't know. Maybe they paid somebody off and got an extra vote. Maybe she genuinely was the the, the better leader. I don't know. I don't think that really matters at the end of the day. But she was chosen over Malcolm. But Malcolm was a respected leader. And they wanted to keep him on board with this new this new endeavor. So he was named the first just, uh, justiciar of the, the the Queen's court. And and so, you know, you think about that as the the base for these nine families. There was always tension. They they yeah. they came together for seditious reasons. So the, the the ties were never really that thick. They were always purely political. Always. Um, aspirational and, and so things have changed in the waning 50 some odd years that they since they started this war and so that that's that's how the, the 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 tension that you pick up on the tension that hopefully most readers pick up on between some of these factions within the Ennead, now that they're in the third generation of it yeah they're all feeling the pressure you know the the, the rule of nine says that at the at, when the queen dies who is now queen alaria shadun athenia's grand granddaughter when she dies They've all got to give up power according to the rules. Uh-huh. I don't know how you would feel about that, but I know yeah. personally, I wouldn't want my family's legacy that we built over 50 years to just go away because you died. Like, yeah. well, what about what we have? Like, what does that mean for me? And so that's where Lady Lena Ballas comes in because she is the third generation leader of House Ballas. So her father, Malcolm, was the first justiciar. Excuse me, her grandfather, Malcolm, was the first as her grandfather Frederick was the first justice her father is Malcolm so I got those names confused you can go back and amend that yourselves listeners but so Frederick Malcolm and Lena and the and now Lena sits at the head of House Ballas and is a contemporary of Queen Ilaria so I wanted to get another royal perspective to go along with Jaleel's kind of everyman perspective. I'm keeping the third character in the novel of mystery, but let's just say that that character does a lot of what Anatu does. And that right. is acts as the glue, acts as the character in this grand epic who can connect some dots and make your view go from you know this to this, right? Because I could have told the whole story on just Athea and the Republic Kingdom and the Ennead and its war, but I've decided not to. Right. And so you needed characters dispersed to throughout the story to make that make sense. And so that mystery character in the novel is going to do what Anatu has done for the comics. Mm. So if I remember correctly, of course, from the six issues that were released on Kickstarter, when we got to, if I, if I remember correctly, the when we got to the fourth or fifth book, it seemed completely separate than anything that you did. And it told almost a completely different story. And in hindsight, of course, it resembled everything that we've read so far in any ad and within those first four issues. But when we got here, it was like the the world itself was a lot more spiritual. Um, It was way more mythical. And the fantasy buildup that we had maybe had not seen just basically through a medieval timeline through Amashik all of a sudden came into this 
into this uh this this world that was built inside of these six issues that took us to a place that was like this is very familiar to me and I want to see more of it and then by book six by the end of book six you're like okay it's all fitting so what do you think you know so I I, <laughs> I played with that yeah when I would We've, and I'm sure we've discussed this because the 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 wire pops into my head whenever this part of my 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 storytelling comes up, whether it's my planning or what inspired me. Yep. You watch the first season of the wire, and you're watching one show. You watch the final season of the wire, and it's now layers deeper than you ever thought oh, it was yeah. going to be. And I and and I feel like good fantasy does that to you all the time, right? You you think it's one thing, and then all of a sudden you realize, whoa, I've been here this whole time. Okay, hold up. And so when you do that and you go back, the only hints that I really give about the ethereal aspects um, are in the way that people speak about particular deities or the way that I open up book two with Anatu's dream is really the first the first time I give you like, hmm, what's, what's this about? Now, again, knowing what you know about Anatu, He's, he's a, a man who's lived his entire adult life and most of his childhood training for and in the military. So for him to have a fairly violent dream is not, you don't think twice about it, but there's a particular figure in this dream that we see again at the end of uh, volume one. Um, and, and, and that's kind of one of the ways where I get you to kind of thumb back a few pages and realize like, oh, there was something there. And then when you go and you look again at book three, you realize the way that those folks are speaking with that in mind now, maybe maybe this isn't purely a religious conversation. Maybe this is the hints of that magic. And then like you say, in books four and five, I kind of take it a step further still when Niawi is introduced and, mm -hmm. and, and what she's capable of and what she's getting a sense of. And then in book six, I kind of hit you over the head with it. Um, I didn't think I had the uh, the HBO budget to to wait six <laughs> seasons or six volumes or you know however many volumes they give you of the wire. I think it's four or five. I don't remember now. But it, the point five. is, like, it's four, right? Is five. it the four right, or five? Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember now. Yeah. We'll get torn to shreds. I'm about to say if you if you give me the <laughs> subtitles of the wire, I remember. Uh, so the the first uh, the first season is built on the uh, basically the hood. Uh, second season is distribution. Yep. Third season is the uh, is the school system. Fourth season is the media. And don't but don't we also get one? We we get one on the government. The, the, so it is five politicians. Yeah, we get one on the politicians. Yeah, right. So it's five. five. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so, five. so that was that was kind of that. I mean, that just the way that they told that story is is just is classic. Right unmatched in my opinion the, the the meta way that they told that story right um and so i i was really inspired by that and i wanted to build out a fantasy world in that way where hopefully by the end of volume one you now see even the way that niawi comes back to finish off book seven you realize like okay there are some things going on here and and there have to be reasons why this isn't a focal point each one of these viewpoints and why is that and so that's kind of what we're going to figure out really by the end of volume two you know why and and also when you purchase and read the world book um <laughs> why why is magic why is spirituality dispersed the way that it is and it has everything to do with the events of the separation 
And mm-hmm. so one of the things that I do, and, and this is another hint, right? It's it's very, very understated. And, and you won't know this until you know more about the separation. But when you look at my map, um, the shattered gulf of Rithia sits right in the middle. And, and that is the event, there, excuse me, that is the place where the event known as the separation is said to have sprung forth from, right? So when you look at the way that the map, now that I've got the full map built out, if you look, you're looking at the map, so you're looking, you know, center um, to, to, to the right. So, you know, you're going west to east. Yeah. The map is, is dispersed and kind of stratified in a particular way. But then when you look back in the other direction, while it is impacted, you see a much more solid set of land masses, right? So even that is is speaking to some of the the, the, the magic that is a very strong undercurrent in Amishi. And, and once folks learn the story, or at least the, the myth surrounding the separation, whether it's fact or fiction, who knows, um, they'll, they'll get an even better sense. So so the, the hints have always been there, and, and I wanted to again, be patient with the way that I told this story. And and I always had the desire to reach beyond comics, yeah. not because I didn't think comics were good enough for the story, but I, I, I don't want to stop. Like the the comics, the, the, there's always been an end. I've always known, okay, this is where Natsu's going to end up. This is where Julius will end up. The rule of nine will be in this state, but I don't want to stop playing in the sandbox. I mean, I'm, I got my feet wet now, so I have to keep going. And so I, I, I wanted to build these other avenues for myself to continue telling stories in this world. Yeah. So so a lot of a lot of customers, of course, like myself and a lot of readers got our chances to get volume one as of recently, I'm going to say as of last month. So now when when, when this Kickstarter came out, um, it was the volume one trade. And for for a lot of comic readers, you know, that might be a little bit foreign to them. Of course, this comes with the collector's box and you have a lot more details as far as even the the Eurosa that you're basically throwing in there. Now, what differentiates this volume one that that I have here from the Kickstarter that is currently out right now? What you have there is the full the full volume one through seven. You have the full story, all the POV characters. And so, so you you are all caught up. Mm-hmm. What the special edition that I have on Kickstarter right now is imagine that you're only getting a not to story. Imagine that I decided, you know what, forget about calling this any of the rule of nine. Let's call it, you know, fill in the blank yeah. man with no name. I know that's taken a not to kind of, you know, <laughs> right? exactly. Right. Like that's so, so, so imagine that that's the story that I decided to tell from the beginning that's what you're getting. Plus, you're getting a sneak peek at all of Anatu's pages from book 10. So you get mm. his, his story up to this up to this point. And then for folks who are curious, folks who are invested in the character and don't necessarily want to wait until I decide to put volume two out later this year, you get to see what what, what happens with Anatu. Because again, he, he has a really powerful moment um, for himself and for readers at the end of book seven where he you know he reveals some things some things are revealed to him or maybe he's hallucinating whatever it is yep that that's that that gives you another layer to his character and so i wanted to share with folks who have been on this journey what he's going to do in response um and what he's going to do next and how he may or may not change as a result so one of the things that i i put on the campaign page is 
you know, will Anatu find this this life of peace, or will he found himself bound to a new sense of duty or justice? Because you you, you brought it up, he is he. He doesn't take shit. And the reason why he doesn't take shit is he has a very clear moral code, whether it is right, wrong or indifferent. In our opinion, Anatu knows the difference between right and wrong, according to Anatu. Mm -hmm. And so he's not really going to be too successful um, at finding this life of peace unless he can completely isolate himself, which he's finding it harder to do here. Than he thought it would. Than he thought he would. So, so you get that, and you 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 get the 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 kind of um, the tease for what comes next. Obviously, I threw some spot foil on there to make it you know fancy and, and collectible. You you tease these, so I'll pull one out. These uh -huh. golden euroses, which I also share a bit about on the Substack and yeah. um, and on the campaign page. But for a Raukito, which is what Anatu is, it's the name uh, that he of his position in the Kavani military. This is the pinnacle. You yeah. being able to wield one of these is the it, it, it says something about you. Um, they don't just give these out. So I felt like it was only right that folks who've been here from the beginning, same thing. If you have one of these, it's going to say something about where you stand in the Ennead fandom. It means you were really here from the beginning. Whether you just get here now or you were here for the last two years, we're going to look back in a few years and say, oh, yeah, that was just the beginning. And and, I, and and so I wanted to celebrate that for myself, for longtime readers. I just wanted to plant a flag here because we're going to have this conversation 12 months from now. And Ennead as an IP is going to look completely different. Obviously, it's still going to be epic fantasy. Characters are going to be the same. I'm not going to switch it up and tell you a cyberpunk, but you're going to see completed comic volumes over here, plural. You're going to see completed novel singular for now <laughs> completed right. world history volume one right where where i'm not going to tell you everything but i'm going to tell you enough that it bridges some of these gaps and it, and it fills in some of these blanks and again i do a lot of that a lot of the stuff that i share on substack about the magic system and the and the world history will be elaborated on in that world book and so this for me is the moment where i was recently on a, a, another show um and uh I was talking about just this, this celebratory moment for me. And, and I was asked, you know, when did you think, when did you feel like you came into yourself as a writer? And I really feel like that, that is what's happening right now. And so this campaign, it's to reintroduce myself to the Kickstarter world. Cause last year I only had one campaign, which, yeah. you know, I, I launched five in the 18 months before that. So I, I'm, I'm kind of just itching to get back in the ring, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, but I also wanted to 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 celebrate this moment and and make this 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 grand claim within my own readership. Like, you know, if you have one of these, this is this is special. If you have one of these collectors boxes, the first one that we put out, this is special because I'm not going to stop building this IP. And so I'm trying as many ways as I can to leave breadcrumbs for the folks who've been here from the beginning, so we can all, you know, one day meet up at one of these conventions and say oh shit you got one of those let me see let me sign that for you oh you got one of these yeah definitely i, I lost all mine i sold all you know mm -hmm. i'm looking for those moments and and that's that's really what this campaign is about it's it's a big celebration of what i have built but i really do feel like we have built because this crowdfunding thing is just different you know i i, I feel like i know everybody who's read my book and, and that is special
That's what's happening. Now, as far as Substack goes, and of course, with it being a fairly new medium, what what do fans hope to see that you that you don't give them when you when you're basically putting out your books that they could they can more so perceive themselves getting when they do subscribe to your Substack? So as a fan of fantasy, you know that there's always more. There's always, you know, oh, yeah. an, a fantasy author will have a, have a throwaway line about, you know, a particular garment with a particular sigil that, you know, the characters haven't seen in 50 years. You know, oh, well, there's a war, there's a hero, there's a villain. Like, give me that. I want to know what that is. Or, you know, somebody talks about a particular religious faction who, you know, does certain things like, you know, has a very particular worship a perspective on worship within a, a larger religion. Um, well, why? You know, what are they doing? It, it, it sounds like a cult to me, like it's something going on. So I kind of remember when you were a little kid and you would pick up rocks and look for worms. Oh, yeah. Like I'm kind of just picking up, a, I'm picking up a bunch of rocks and like all the ones with worms on them, I'm leaving them upside down so you can come play in the mud and play with the worms, right? Like that's what I feel like I'm doing on Substack. So all the little things all the little gems i leave all the little things that make any feel so lived in um there's a there there and so i'm basically on substack just turning over those stones so you can play around a little bit while i build this world book and then when you come back to the world book now you really have everything that you need to really understand the world that you're in you i don't plan on giving any any spoilers or anything that will ruin what is to come but all of the things that you know, why, why is King Julius marching to war? Like, why, why are we following a king leading an army to war? And while it's not completely foreign, it isn't actually normal. Kings kind of, you know, tend to sit in the back, uh, let people die for them, and they show up and steal the glory. Um, and, and, and that really doesn't, that's, you, you got, you know, I think about Game of Thrones all the time. You got King Robert who kind of broke that trend, but you know, after these early Targaryens that we're seeing in the House of the Dragon, them Targaryens were in King's Landing. <laughs> they yeah. weren't. They weren't doing what what King Robert did, and it's one of the reasons why he won over the realm, right? So, like King Julius is why is he walking? Why is he walking away from his kingdom to 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 start a war effectively? Who is that with? Where is that blood feud from? And and one of the things that you'll you'll find out really early on in the World Book is that the 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 conflicts that are brewing right now, both ethereal and in, in the physical realm, have been around for a long time. And, and so one of the things, and I'll share this with you, that I just, uh, the, the chapter that I'm, I'm not necessarily stuck in, but I'm letting marinate right now in the world book, there's an event called the Marring in the Mountains that I remember when I was building the map. I was building a particular mountain range, and I just wrote in the mountains, Marring in the Mountains. I didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that the way that that mountain range was was set, that there it was a, a it was definitely a, a really important part in the border between these two countries, and and obviously like some shit went down there. There was obviously yeah. some there had to be right because this is the perfect place to sneak across a border. This is the perfect place to you know you know rest an army right you know so an invading army. So I was like there had to be something here. So I just wrote marring in the mountains. And so I'm currently writing the Marring in the Mountains. And what I'm doing there is I'm writing it from three different perspectives. 
and, and each one of these perspectives is a particular historical figure. Not necessarily folks who are super important, but they're they're the primary sources, right? That that my character, who's when I write the word book, I'm writing in character, and right. so my character is using that source material to to answer these questions. And so, in those particular viewpoints, you have what inevitably become some of the political and religious factions that we're dealing with today. So, like when you talk about the Substack, it's the beginnings of that. It's where I am teasing some of these bigger stories that I plan on telling. Again, the plan is within 2023, if not this time, 2024, both that novel and world book will be out and, and you'll get that. You'll get, a, you'll get to go a little bit deeper. You know, I think the comic, I always wanted to see a fantasy comic that took the epic fantasy genre seriously and, and really yeah. just wanted to tell a patient story. And so that's why I wrote The Rule of Nine. But again, I, I now that I've done that, I too want to share some of this stuff. And rather than bog down the comic with a bunch of info dumping and making it pretty much unreadable, um, I'm just going back and again, I'm filling in those gaps. So that that's a lot of what's going on on Substack. You know, I, I do a lot of um, primary source type stuff. So you know, there's some handwritten letters in there, uh, handwritten <laughs> letters in there. Yep. There's some. Um, so some some real political. Um, here's how the law is written type stuff. I break down the magic, the branches of magic, um, in two parts. And so, all of these things again. I'm just turning over the rocks. So you see, there's some nice worms to play with and some some mud. You think about what it was like to just be a little kid yeah. running around getting dirty for fun. Like that's that's what I'm doing in this lore in this world over on Substack. That's what's happening now. The genre in which you write in is now in its, I'm going to say its healthiest trend. There's plenty of IPs that are currently in epic fantasy. The Return of Game of Thrones, of course, with House of Dragon. Uh, the Witcher, if we want to talk about Ring of, Ring of Power, uh, Vikings Valhalla, Vox Machina, which is the uh, an amazing cartoon on uh, Amazon Prime. I didn't even think they would do that. And even... Even unexpectedly, there's still Dungeons and Dragons, which is D and D, is going to come out as a movie very recently. Do you feel like it's uh, like as of right now, like 2023? Like, do people now want to consume fantasy and epic fantasy in in any which way or form as it is because they feel as though it's a more healthy, uh, organic type of genre rather than most of the ones that are pretty much put out there yes i think if i look and this is again as just as someone who's i remember watching you know movies like troy and the original lord of the rings like mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again because while it was out there it wasn't as prevalent as it is right now um, you can find it, but but it wasn't. I, I liken the moment for fantasy right now and epic fantasy in particular to where superhero movies were, you know, after the original like Sam Raimi Spider Man. Like people are realizing, like, oh wait a minute, like not only is this interesting and 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 this engaging storytelling on the flip, people are realizing, oh, there's money to be made here. So you're getting a D and D yeah. blockbuster summer film like i am beyond hyped for that i don't care how corny i don't care how bad i will be in the theaters to watch that movie because that is like 
some might be mad at it and say it's selling out, whatever. Like the success of Critical Role getting for those folks yeah. every Thursday night, like, and now even more nights, like they literally stream D&D on the internet and millions of people watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I still tell people I'm I'm going to play D&D. You know, I play, pretty, we play pretty much bi-weekly. It's a bunch of married and engaged gentlemen trying to play so we have to listen to our our wives and fiancés but when we get to play we we do and like i'll bring that up in real life and people will either say like what or they'll just start laughing like oh you do that and i'm like yeah i do that like yeah. what do you mean so i'm gonna be there for dnd when it drops um I, I think that this is that moment where if there if you could and i don't know that you can because superheroes have dominated pop culture for a longer time than 20 years, but like mainstream, mainstream pop culture, you mm-hmm. know, the last 20 years. Yeah. If fantasy is going to do it, it's it started with Game of Thrones. Like we're going to look back and be like, oh, that was when it really began. And, and we're looking, you know, 2030, 2040. Pretty is much. When this stuff is going to start to And the thing down. is, it, so, it, so I am. No, no, no. And even so, it happened to be a TV show rather than a movie that did it. Which I think, you know, I talk about wanting to be patient here. I think that that also UT's rings of power. And I, I know that some people do or don't like that. I love all of it, right? Like you you put you put elves and swords and shields and magic. And I'm going to try real hard to like what's in front of me. Like I just genuinely am going to give it everything that I can. Because to me, it's still, it's still a rarity to get my preferred storytelling genre in all these different places so i eat it up um but you, the the episodic nature of game of thrones fit george r. r martin's storytelling perfectly you could have never done a song of ice and fire in a series of movies i just don't think it i think it would have been impossible right. um, it would have been so watered down it just wouldn't have worked um and so i i think that that because they were able to embrace epic fantasy in that slow, episodic way, uh, people realized how palatable it was. You know, that's how all epic fantasy is written, by the way, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. Good, it, it's slow. It takes its time. It builds up. You read the first eighty pages. I just finished the Broken Earth trilogy. Have you read that yet? And Jay Jemison. No, it's fire. Um, <laughs> I just finished it. I literally started the week before Christmas and I finished earlier this week. Um, and, and the way that she tells that story, I remember the first time I tried to read it, this was like a year and a half, two years ago. I just couldn't, it was so dense. It was so new. The magic was completely original in, in, in my, you know, understanding of epic fantasy. You as a fan of big fan of X-Men and things like that, you probably recognize this magic in a couple of those, those folks, but as far as pure epic fantasy goes, I've never really seen magic done like this. Um, and again, I could just be limited, but mm-hmm. man, it was it was so dense, it was so thick. But when I came back to it again, and I had kind of, I had that buffer, I had that that time to let it marinate in my mind. I just I ate it up, and so I bring that up to say, like, a lot of epic fantasy starts that way. Like you, you start reading it and you feel like, you know what? I can't do this. It's too slow. They're meandering. Nothing is happening. But then you get a third of the way into an epic fantasy book and it's a roller coaster ride the rest of the way. And so 
Game of Thrones made that palatable, I think, to, to mainstream audiences who every Sunday sat down, you know, and watched that more than they watched Sunday night football for a yeah. long time. And that's huge. Yeah. As you know, like if you're out, if you're getting more views than the NFL, you're doing something right. This is so, very true. <laughs> so I think they, you know, that, that, that has me really excited. You know, some people might be intimidated by being in that space, especially as a completely independent creator. But for me, it's exciting because I know I was always looking for the next thing. I was always looking for, uh, you know, the thing that I could be in on the ground floor of. And and while I did read all of A Song of Ice and Fire before the series concluded, I didn't know what Game of Thrones was until HBO introduced it to me. And then mm-hmm. when they did, and I binged season one, I immediately went and I bought the, the I think the four pack at the time, because right. I'm not even sure that dance was out yet. And I was like, oh, I need this. And so I bought the four pack. And then I remember buying Dance. Yeah, Dance um, of Dragons. I just packed, I'm moving. Yeah. So like, I, I remember buying that and like being like, okay, it's like season two, season three was out. I'm like, all right, I'm ready. And I felt like I was ahead of the curve. I really wasn't. I was still 20 years late. But that's what I'm talking about when I'm trying to True. create these special editions and, and make these, you know, 3D collectibles. I know how important it is to be here early. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident. I'm very excited about where Epic Fantasy is going, um, as a genre and, and how many people are, are, are willing to take steps towards it now, um, in a public fashion. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the next few years. That's what's up. That's what's up now. Now, as far as like, uh, where you're looking to take this in the, in the next coming months, because you're st- still working on volume two. What do we hope to expect from you as far as the beginning of volume two? Because now we're we've reached a climax and we've closed the door on an in an entire six issue series. And then we open another door to a more broader perspective of Amashik as it is. And so, you know, again, uh not to I don't want to spoil anything, but I can speak in broad strokes. So what I always, I originally envisioned the rule of nine is four volumes. I have since made that work for three volumes because of the addition of the novel series. So there's a storyline or two um, that will eventually be the, the where you know, I, I tease those characters, Jaleel and, and Lena, and they will you know, they'll be in the driver's seat of both of these. And the novel series will be the convergence of of those two stories. That was going to take place in the comic, and that was going to require a fourth volume. Again, I'm I'm greedy. I'm enjoying telling the story. If people are going to, you know, continue to, to support on Kickstarter and beyond, um, I might reintroduce a fourth. I might come up with a fifth or sixth. I don't know when I'll actually stop. Mm-hmm if there's still a reason to keep going. But I do, so, so that being said, the, the end of volume one, I think you now know who these characters actually think they are. You know, in, in the beginning of volume one, you don't really get a sense of who they are. You get a sense of who they present themselves as, especially with someone like Anatu, right? But by the end of his journey, you realize like, oh wait, there's, there's something else here. Like he's, he's not okay. And, and and he's like, if, if what I'm reading is legit, like he's really not okay. And he's on the other side of the world, no family, no friends, he doesn't know anybody. Like 
this might not end up too well for him. Right. Um, then you look at characters like Queen Ilaria, who very confident, speaking proudly, teaching about the rule of nine in the beginning of volume one. And then by the end of it, she's holding a letter in her hand, realizing that, wait a minute, like almost behind my back, like things the the plan that I was laying for my, you know, hopeful, you know, departure that mm-hmm. I can't do that now. Like, what do you, and then, oh, there's this dude in my throne room right now talking crazy. Like, okay. Yeah. And who is he? Oh, all right. So now that's, that bubbles up. And then you have characters like Niawi who you meet and you kind of get right in the middle of volume one. I kind of sprinkle heavily, you know, a, a lot of Niawi lore and, 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 and just history. And then by the end of volume one, you realize, okay, so she's on her own quest and she's got her own, you know, yeah. her own thing going on. King Julius, very similar. You know, you know what he's doing. And then by the end, he meets up with his old friend. And now you see they've got this real big, ambitious plan. And so volume one gives you, okay, this is what they're actually doing. And then that character that you talked about at the end of book six kind of comes in and they're like a tidal wave. So I can't wait for them to, you'll see them again in book nine. So um, <laughs> you, you see them and you see them in full effect. Um, and so, uh, you know, that what you get now when you get into the beginning of volume two is is kind of the, um, you know, I, I'm I'm laying the the next level, you know, so I think I laid the foundation. Now that the, the first or second level is being built on top of that. And by the middle of volume two, you realize how high the stakes were for a lot of these characters. Um, and you realize that when you came into the rule of nine, you weren't at the beginning of a story. You were already two thirds of, of the way into some of these things. So some, a lot of plans have been in place and, and I really just threw you in the middle of it. And mm-hmm. again, the reason why I chose to do that is I wanted the story to feel lived in. I wanted the, the, the engagement to be there with the material, but also I could have done this in so many different, like I just talked about the marring of the mountains. Had I decided to, I could have thrown you into the middle of the Maring of the Mountains and those three viewpoint characters who are now my primary source material as I tell you this history right. could have been a nod to King Julius and Queen Ilaria. Like, so for me, it didn't matter where I dropped you. You were going to get this. You were going to get this experience. And so volume two is just, you know, you take that a little bit further. Gideon and Lannis, who are some of my favorite characters, they're out in the Debashi Empire. You realize what is going on over there is not just um, they that you realize their attention can't just be focused on the Republic Kingdom. Um, So so, yeah, the the stakes just get a little bit higher in the early parts of volume two. And then by the end of it, like I said to you, and I might have said this backstage, but the the landscape is going to look a little different. That's what's happening. Look, I, I I've considered this these books as well as this volume and going into going into volume two as a, a a distinct pleasure because I've gotten to see it exactly from the beginning and how it's been built around. Sometimes I feel as though even if I see a viewpoint twice, I understand the direction in which it's supposed to go. So I appreciate that from you the whole handily. Um, now the Kickstarter got two weeks left. Um, so uh, basically, if anybody wanted to get their hands on your work, whether it be volume one, any of the singular issues, or better yet, when this Kickstarter does end and they wanted to get their hands on anything from the NEAD, 
how could they do so? The best way to do that, Ennead underscore the rule of nine. You start typing that into your search browser um, on, on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, you'll find me. Um, you will likely see um, my face <laughs> uh, as my thumbnail, or you'll see, see it not to, but you'll recognize it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the best thing to do, I think, for folks who are um, hearing this and wanting to get on board, I have a, a, a brand new fresh cover for volume one. That cover right there behind you is the Liana Kangas cover. Yep. Liana is fantastic. They 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 brought a whole new dimension to the story with that cover, and I think it fits the the the, the mystique that the story really always had that you get more of with the color version. So I love their work there. Um, but I have a my guy Ed Liley, who's the interior artist on book six and book nine. Uh, he came in and he 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 gave us a fresh cover for the volume. So if you want to just get everything, you don't really want to do the whole, let me follow this one character. This story sounds too big. I'm too intrigued. You can go for that right now on the Kickstarter. If you're a digital only kind of person, you have the $9 tier where you can get a month uh, subscription to my Substack where you can read, I believe, books one through three right now. If you want to go all in, you can go for the 120 digital only. I will send you the volume one um full pdf the special edition full pdf i'll get you a full year subscription to my Substack with that and you'll also get first dibs on anything that comes out via uh my my platform um but the best thing to do is is hop into that kickstarter and even if you're not sure that you're really going to rock with any long term again i wish this was actually gold plated but that budget that goal would need to be a little bit higher but you know, I, the way I see this, this is this is going to be one of those things when, you know, I'm up on stage doing a panel um, and I hop off stage and, and someone walks up to me with that. Like, that's going to be that that's love that I'm going to recognize that immediately. That's always going to be something that I know. I know exactly where I was. Shout out to Aurelie, who's a, a longtime reader who actually took this from the comic page and and, and did the, the 3D print. Uh, yeah, that, that was on the cover of issue one, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the, this is the one, right. This. And so she came in and she just on her own, like she started sending me images of like her playing around with it. She does, you know, the uh, VFX work. And um, I was like, hold on, let me pay you finish that. Like, you know, and so she's, she's, she's a, a great supporter. Someone like yourself who's just been here with me kind of behind the scenes the whole way, letting me know that this is a worthwhile endeavor. And so, like, not only do I share that with her now, that that is something that if that ever comes up, if, if if a fan ever gives me that, like, that's immediate reason for me to go behind the table at the convention and give you whatever I have that's special. Because I know that you've been here, right? Like, I'm signing books for you. I'm mm-hmm. giving you exclusive covers. Because, again, that's that's love. Right now, this is still a, a you know, I'm a big J. Cole fan. So this is my dollar in a dream right here. So mm-hmm. it, this is... You know, I remember listening to that when no one knew who Cole was and and you know, he, he who is this dude? He's corny, not gang banging. I'm not listening to that. Meanwhile, you know, we were all in college. We should all have been listening to Cole. Um, but the point is, like, you look at where he is now. And 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 one of the things I love that he does at his shows is, you know, he'll just he'll go back to one of his old songs. He'll he'll turn the lights on. He'll ask you, do you want a mic? You want to rap with me? And mm-hmm. you can literally go bar for bar with Cole, but not any of the new stuff. Like he goes way back. And like that, those are special moments as creators. And, and again, I'm I'm not 
expecting anybody to recite the rule of nine to me word for word. I wouldn't be able to do it with you. Um, <laughs> but the point is like that, that's, that's where I'm at. And that's what this Kickstarter is. So even if you're on the fence and you're into Epic Fantasy, I highly recommend checking out either the collector's box or the Eurosa bundle where you can get one of these. Um, because if you mess around and like it, you know, this is, <laughs> this is like a, this is, this is a golden ticket. And, and wherever I end up, I'm going to recognize you. So Jeffrey, Continue blessings, man. I appreciate you doing this with me. This is all, all, always a pleasure talking with you about how defined and detailed that this book and this storyline has always been. So I appreciate that from you. Appreciate you. I'll be back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we will. All right. So from uh, Jeffrey L. Johnson for any at the rule of nine, James Grandmaster Facts Boys, we are out. 